Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Macro Compass. This is Alf speaking, but that's a special edition because today we have a guest. Hi, Lynn. How are you doing? Good. Happy to be here. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you here. So you wrote a piece for the Macro Compass this week, um, and we'd like to talk about that first. Before going into the stock market sector that you'd like to talk about, um, would you like to give us a small macro intro into your thesis? Sure. And, you know, I mean, this, the actions of this morning already kind of, uh, changed the macro landscape significantly, uh, you know, with the, with the war over Ukraine. Um, but, you know, that was written a couple of days ago. And essentially the theme, uh, is, and still, still, you know, it was and still is, uh, the idea that, you know, we're in risk off conditions, uh, and in, in most parts of the world, uh, economic decelerating, uh, conditions, meaning that economic growth is still positive, but that it's rolling over to a lower level. Uh, and so you have, you have, uh, purchasing managers indices looking down. You have other leading indicator, uh, you know, different types of data collections looking down. You have Atlanta Fed, uh, you know, GDP, uh, now, uh, modeling looking down. Uh, and so those tend to not be very obviously strong markets for risk assets. So that includes equities. That includes other types of risk assets. Uh, it tends to be better for treasuries, cash, gold. Uh, and then it depends on the type of market. So people often think of emerging markets as being risk on, but they're more geographically specific. And so, for example, we've seen outperformance from Latin America this year compared to, uh, the United States and, and many other countries, uh, because you, you have, you have, you know, they had their economic deceleration last year. Uh, so that's, you know, the pain is, you know, it might not be all the way out, but a lot of that's already out. Uh, whereas the United States and some of these other countries are kind of in the earlier stages of pain, it looks like. And, uh, and so the, the, yeah, the general theme is just risk off and, and defensiveness. Yeah. I agree with that, by the way. Uh, it's also my main macro thesis. What I always ask myself is markets are forward looking. So they, you know, tend to incorporate some of these projections we are doing. Would you think that the earnings revisions we are starting to see and perhaps a bit of the GDP revisions we are starting to see already incorporate your macro defensive thesis or you're more defensive than what the new expectation is? I, I think that. You know, historically, these things take a while to play out, uh, and it's a process rather than an event, right? So the market can reprice things very quickly. We saw how quickly they repriced uh, interest rate expectations. Uh, we can see how how you know quickly they 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 reprice uh, earnings expectations, uh, and I think that you know there there has been a very strong buy the dip mentality and a very strong kind of there is an alternative mentality, and that that doesn't just go away overnight. I mean, I think I think it takes a, a longer period of pain. To get some capitulations, uh, you know, I think that there are some uh, sectors that I think, you know, they've been front running this for a long time. Like some of those overvalued arc arc stocks, for mm-hmm. example, uh, you know, I think a lot of that, you know, the pain, the at least for the ones that have kind of long term network effects and you know that aren't like memes, uh, you know, I think a lot of their pain is behind them. Uh, you know, I'm not calling for a bottom here, but I'm saying that I think that you know there there are some interesting values in that space uh, even now, and I think you could start start to front run certain things. Um, uh, same thing for maybe Bitcoin. Basically, some of the more some of the things are already down over 50%. I, I think have already priced in a lot of it. Um, but I think some of the the large cap, uh, the broad indices, uh, I, I still think they have choppiness ahead of them. And you know, my my call since since December has been that I don't really know what the market's going to do other than that I don't think it's going to be nearly as good as 2021. So I was like, I don't know if it's going to go flat and choppy. I don't know if it's going to go down. I don't know if it's going to down a lot. I don't know if it's going to even grind up a little bit, you know, uh, but because, so, you know, this, 
if you look at Wall Street, you know, the, the year end forecasts have almost no correlation with what actually happens. So I don't try to give year end forecasts. I just say, okay, what, like, what are the probabilities of risk on versus risk off? And most things we're looking risk off. And so far, we're on kind of the worst end of that spectrum where we're, we're down. You know, we could have more to go either way. You know, even if we balance, we're still chopping along for the year. Uh, and then obviously the, the, we just had a complication overnight from Russia invading Ukraine. So that, that kind of, uh, jacks up inflation risks in certain types of commodities. Uh, and it also just adds uncertainty, uh, you know, throughout Europe and, and throughout the world real, realistically. Yeah. So back now to the main uh, thesis behind the article at the Macro Compass, which is the healthcare sector, which fits a lot of these features because it's a low beta sector to the broad S&P. It has a beta below one, effectively tracks the market, but with a lower intensity, basically. And, um, you know, it might be one of the sectors where on a, a risk adjusted relative basis, investors might find some shelter, let's say. But I will let you elaborate on the on the thesis behind the healthcare sector. Why would people be wanting to prefer that sector? There's a couple of reasons. One is, uh, you know, valuations are not a catalyst, but they're a risk management tool. And so if you look at the broad market, it's still pretty expensive uh, in the U.S. Um, uh, whereas if you look at the healthcare sector, especially, you know, certain names that, that I've been I've been watching, some of the health insurers, some of the pharmaceutical companies, uh, you know, the valuations are either average or in some cases below average. Uh, and these are strong balance sheet, dividend paying, dividend growing types of companies. Uh, as you point out, they're lower beta. And I think the way to summarize it is that they trade away uh, economic cyclical risk for regulatory risk, yeah. right? Because a, a bigger chunk of their revenues are from government. Uh, depends on the specific company, obviously, in question. Um, but a large part of their revenues are from government. And that is uh, therefore buffered from recessions or economic slowdowns, especially when they're already inexpensive, right? Uh, but on the other hand, uh, they, they get slammed by headlines and they, uh, about, you know, drug, uh, reform, drug pricing reform, things like that. And so that's what happened to a lot of them, uh, in the second half of last year. And so the other part of my thesis is that with so much Senate gridlock, uh, I, I think it's, you know, I, I don't really see a lot of kind of, um, unification action in, in the U.S., uh, Senate around drug pricing reform. Uh, and then I think it only gets even, even more complicated after the midterms. Uh, and so I, I view basically that in this environment of increasing cyclical economic risks, which healthcare stocks are less impacted by, uh, and decreasing regulatory risks, uh, that they're reasonably well positioned here. And if you look over the long run, you, you know, if you look at the, at the ratio of, of U.S. healthcare stocks to the broader, you know, the broader markets, they tend to outperform in periods of either crisis or just economic deceleration, some sort of liquidity event, some sort of uh, economic slowdown and the ratio hasn't really taken off yet, despite the fact that it's, that it's, you know, we're in kind of this risk off period. And so I, I still think that that idea has legs in front of it, at least in a, in a probability weighted concept. And I do agree. Uh, if you look at 2018, I often compare the current macro environment with about summer 2018, where the economic growth on an impulse basis was slowing down a bit after a very strong 2017. Obviously the conditions are very different, but trying to compare a macro environment with another. Um, and let's say the Federal Reserve was tightening and tightening towards neutral levels and even trying to tighten above neutral levels. And then at some point during that period, between June 2018 and December 2018, the ETF representing the healthcare sector in, in the US overperformed the S&P by 13%, one, three in six months. And so far, we haven't seen much happening because of what Lynn said uh, before about regulation. Do you have a 
couple and, and the Senate, by the way, in the, um, the BBB package, which has been watered down. Do you have a couple of uh, concrete names within the sector that people might be looking at? Sure. One, one thing I try to do is I do like individual names, but I also stress that, you know, I, it's just easy to avoid single company risk uh, in this space. Yeah. So I, the reason I pick individual names is to kind of construct my own mini ETF. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I might not like the ETF choices out there. Yeah. So rather than say, I'm going to put a, I'm going to go like super heavy into this one name. I say, here are like five or 10 names that I want to, I want to have exposure to in the sector. And so for example, I like Cigna. That's mm-hmm. a health insurer and pharmacy benefits manager. I like, uh, CVS, which is a, a retail pharmacy plus health insurer plus a uh, benefits manager. I like some of the pharmaceuticals. So I like, uh, Bristol Myers Squibb. Mm-hmm. I like Amgen, for example. Um, and then I, you know, I even, I think some of the, some of the big ones like Johnson Johnson, yeah. uh, you know, maybe they're, they're less interesting, but you know, they're near the, you know, they're at the top of the, of the, the sector. Um, and so I think they would move with it. Um, so I, I think having kind of that broader focus, maybe not, maybe not just the mega cap ones, but you know, kind of the, the, the rest of the large cap space. Um, and you know, Bristol Myers Squibb in particular was held down and, you know, for a couple of reasons, one was, you know, their portfolio is pretty concentrated. Uh, you know, the Celgene acquisition, uh, you know, uh, improves that over time, but because they're, you know, they're focused on the pharmaceuticals, they've been, they've been more weighed down by regulatory concerns, uh, than some of the others in the space. Uh, and so I, I like a mix of pharmaceuticals as well as insurers and, uh, you know, even retail pharmacies. Yeah. But to not to make things extremely complicated, taking exposure on the overall healthcare ETF in the U.S., for example, or global healthcare ETFs, which are pretty liquid and big. Is probably the best and easiest way for people to express this view that Lynn is putting yeah. forward. Uh, Lynn, thank you very much for being on the Macro Compass, for writing the piece and taking the time to discuss your macro views and the healthcare sector with us. Thanks for having me.